With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. This is Husker Online, your authority on Nebraska athletics. In this weekly show, the Husker Online team will give you the latest insight on Husker football, basketball, baseball, and of course, recruiting. Now, here's your host, Husker Online publisher, Sean Callahan. Hello here. Welcome again to another edition of the Husker Online show. Sean Callahan, Robin Washett, Nate Klaus, and later on we'll be joined by Husker Online intern David Eichold as we've got him off the beach, off the pool, whatever college students do in their summer break, and he'll join us for a special edition of the mailbag as we're getting closer and closer to the start of fall camp. Nebraska opens up fall camp on Sunday, July 30th, Fan Day the 29th. Big Ten Media Days will take place this upcoming week on Monday and Tuesday. So it all really begins, and, and the drama has really already begun uh, before things have started. I mean, well, we're going to talk more about Chris Jones and the impact of that injury in our next segment, but um, Nate Klaus, uh, y- you look at the eligibility of some of these incoming guys, um, it's been pretty rare historically for Nebraska to have guys to not make it to campus. Well, this year they've had two um, that we broke here on Husker Online this week. Deontay Watts and Elijah Blades both will not be coming to Nebraska. And then we already know Keyshawn Johnson Jr. has left for um, some personal reasons with the hopes to return. But uh, it, it's been not an ideal situation uh, to lose two of your uh, you know, 20 recruits and then another one already have left at this point. Yeah, definitely not an ideal situation and in a situation that we really have not become accustomed to covering under Mike Riley. I mean, for the most part, he all his signees have made it on campus. Now, some of them have left the program earlier than others. But for the most part, most of these, you know, most of his signees have actually qualified and made it on campus. So there really haven't been too many academic risks, um, you know. And, and when you're talking about a, a guy like Elijah Blades, who's an elite level talent, uh, I think that sometimes with those types of players, you might be a little bit more willing to to make a run at a guy who is is a borderline or who is academically suspect in that regard. Um, and trying to put a plan together for him to, to make it. You know, Nebraska's um, academic support program uh, and the resources they have down there, those people are fantastic at, at being able to look at the transcripts, look at the test scores, and, and really put together the best plan of attack in order to become fully qualified. And more times than not, it, it works. Uh, but the flip side of that is that the player has to has to actually do the work to become qualified. They, they can – they can put the plan together, but the player has to do the work. And, and for whatever reason, Elijah Blades fell just a little bit short and decided to not take the academic red shirt this year and to, uh, to go into a junior college program and, and be there for two years until he graduates with his associate degree. Yeah, this academic red shirt thing um, is unique because it's it's new. I, was it, I mean, I don't even know, Nate. Was it around in the Big 12? Was this something? No, this is something that's it's only been around. It went into effect, I think, two years ago um and maybe even last year may have been the first full year of it so this is this is a new requirement um and and they they kind of upped what happened was they kind of upped the the core gpa requirements the core class requirements um and and the test score requirements and so it kind of altered the the old sliding scale that there used to be you know it used to be if if you had a 2.2 gpa but you did fairly well on your test score that you'd be fine because there's a sliding scale and and now when they altered uh what exactly you need in terms of a core gpa um you know your your math your sciences your englishes and, and those types of classes along with uh your test scores it, it kind of changed that sliding scale so it made it a little bit more difficult for those borderline kids to become qualified but if if they were good in one area or the other they had the opportunity to become an academic redshirt which would mean that they would automatically sit out a year and forfeit a year of eligibility ability uh, right away as soon as they got on campus. You're listening here to the Husker Online Show. Sean Callahan, Nate Klaus, Robin Washett as Nebraska loses out on two guys 
from the recruiting class because of academics, something that we just haven't seen a lot of historically here. And um, Deontay Watts, the other one, uh, may not even play football. I mean, it's still up in the air at this point if he'll play junior college football. Um, honestly, Nate, I, I feel like Nebraska may have dodged a bullet there in some respects um, because this is a kid that barely played his senior year, um, just didn't get it done in the classroom, and now you hear he may not even play football in college. Yeah, if if your if your heart's not in it before you even get to college, um, then then your heart's not going to be in it when you're running and busting your rear end at five o'clock in the morning in in the dead of winter doing you know winter conditioning. So um, yeah, I think Nebraska probably did dodge a bullet there. You know, the hard pill to swallow in, in this regard is is that that they couldn't kind of read the tea leaves ahead of time and know, hey, you know what? Um, maybe this guy doesn't love football. You know, that's that, that's always a question that a lot of coaches ask a kid as soon as they get on campus and as soon as they, they um, you know, start to get to know a kid. They, do you love football or do you like football? Is football a hobby for you or, or is it a passion for you? And and I, I kind of feel like maybe Deontay Watts, it was more of a hobby, um, you know, that he wasn't a guy that necessarily loved football, that his heart and everything that he did was all the way into it. And so, uh, you know, that could be a reason why that he – may not be playing football ever again so um you know and that's it's difficult that uh, you know that you weren't able to or the coaching staff wasn't able to necessarily figure that out or or you know put their thumb on on that being the case here with Deontay Watts um you know, the good thing is is that they signed uh, a pretty good load of defensive tackles in last year's class and, and I think that they're going to be just fine at that nose tackle position and we're going to talk more about the numbers and what that does for the recruiting class this year later on in the show but Speaking of numbers for the Huskers right now, Nebraska sits at just 77 players on scholarship today. Now, we know there's going to be a number of walk-ons, obviously, that will be put on automatically. You've got Cole Conrad, Brian Reimers, Tyler Hoppus. Um, you can go down the line. I mean, they're uh, Luke McNitt. Those are four guys that are automatics that will be put on. I think Gabe Braun's another one that's going to get put on for a senior, senior season. Connor Ketter's another one. But being at 77, it's not ideal um, they easily could have been higher, you know, if they wanted to by taking more guys in the recruiting class. But they were very selective for a reason. Uh, they wanted to keep their recruiting class numbers a little bit more in balance, Nate, because um, if they would have taken, you know, two or three more guys last year, it would have made this year's recruiting class even smaller. Yeah, it would have made this year's class even smaller. And plus, you know, there's it's a it's a double edged sword. You know, when you're down down the stretch, when you're heading up on signing day, and you have the opportunity to maybe um, to add a couple guys, and and the big fish that you really want to add don't pick your school, but yet you have the opportunity to maybe pick off a couple other players that are out there, uh, but they may not be guys that are better than what you have or they may may have some character issues or you know it's always kind of a roll of the dice when you're talking about taking players that late in the game I feel like and um, you know Nebraska did have an opportunity to take a couple couple of players a wide receiver and a defensive back late last uh, last recruiting class right before signing day or actually on signing day and they elected to pass there and, and I think one question you always have to ask yourself is is this kid better than what we already have and and if he's not then it makes no sense to bring him into the program and have him have that kid be quote unquote dead weight for four or five years um, you know you'd be better off developing a walk-on and giving that scholarship to to a guy um, who has has you know put blood sweat and tears in the program who is a good character guy and does all the things the right way and you know what that kid's all about that rather than taking a flyer on somebody that that may or may not be better than what you already have so um, yeah the numbers hurt but at the same time I think it's a smart move not to just take a guy for the sake of taking a guy well they're sitting right now at seven scholarship receivers and one of those seven is Zach Darlington so really six but you know you do have three walk-ons Connor Young, Gabe Ron, and Brian Reimers that are going to be contributors but the number's not ideal, um, you know, especially when you look at just having three um, players that are either freshmen or redshirt freshmen and J.D. Spielman, Tyjon Lindsey, Javon McQuitty, no sophomore eligibility receivers right now in the program. So this is such a big year for Keith Williams and building that number back up. Um, and obviously we know Dante Williams, how big of a year it is for him. But uh, when we come back, we're going to discuss more of the injury to Chris Jones uh, what that means, what directions Nebraska can go as they get ready to go out to Big Ten Media Days. You're listening here to the Husker Online Show. 
You're listening to HuskerOnline.com, your authority on Nebraska athletics. And welcome back here to the Husker Online show as we get ready to head up to Chicago for Big Ten Media Days. And one of the players not going to Chicago now for Nebraska, senior cornerback Chris Jones. It was announced last Saturday by head coach Mike Riley in a statement that Jones suffered an MCL knee injury uh, that will cause him to miss an estimated four to six months um, it was something that you know we heard chatter about. We mentioned it in our RSS chat that he was the player, but nobody had any idea that the injury could be this severe, especially after they announced him to come to media days uh, to represent Nebraska. Then they pulled that back. Uh, so Chris Jones uh, will not be in Chicago. Um, he's arguably the most decorated returning player on this football team. Uh, second team, first team, all Big Ten type of guy, depending how you look at it. And Robin, I mean, this is... You talk about early blows. This is we, we did our top forty Huskers, and, and Chris Jones is right at the top. Yeah, he was he was number two, uh, and for good reason. You could make a very very strong case that he is the best overall player on that entire defense, um, and he has the the preseason accolades to back that up. You know, just after being announced to go to Big Ten Media Days, he was announced on the Thorpe Award watch list. So uh, this was a guy that was picking up some serious national attention. Uh, and was probably, uh, at this point, Nebraska's most surefire NFL draft prospect uh, you know, for, for 2018. So uh, it's certainly disappointing on a multitude of levels, and now um, you kind of got to deal with the ripple effect of all that. Uh, losing a piece like that at what to make matters worse you know not only do you lose one of your best players you lose him at maybe one of the thinnest positions on your entire defense that's a cornerback so nebraska's kind of left in scramble mode right now to, to figure out what they're going to do leading into fall camp and um, you know there are a lot of options i think they could go with but clearly none of them are going to be as ideal uh, as having a player of jones's caliber you know as your number one corner yeah i think it, it there's no question it hurts and you have to feel for chris jones too because i mean towards the end of last season I mean, he was playing at a very high level and there was even a little bit of chatter that you know that he could be a guy that would entertain leaving early but he decided to come back and and for this injury to occur right before his senior year right before big 10 media days and and uh, for you know like you said he was just put on the thorpe award list and um all this hard work i mean that's that's kind of a, a punch in the gut there for a guy like that and then for nebraska you don't just replace a, an all-conference guy you know um without needing to shake things up a little bit so that's what i'm going to be really interested in is exactly how nebraska goes about kind of you know manipulating that back end of the defense to try and um you know give themselves the best defensive backfield uh possible with the absence of chris jones you're listening here to the husker online show sean callahan nate klaus robin washett as we discuss the loss of chris jones here for uh, potentially four months uh, chris jones himself thinks he'll be back sooner uh, but even if he came back in november technically he could play in six games guys i mean nebraska would have four november games a potential big 10 title game and a potential bowl game so um I think a lot of the decision on him coming back will be where is Nebraska at? If they're, mm -hmm. if I mean, this is the very strong Kool Aid approach here, but if Nebraska is able to be at say six and um, six and one um, out of Ohio State, Wisconsin, um, and Oregon at that point, then maybe Jones says, "I want to come back and be a part of this run." Um, but let's just say they they lose all three of those games, and Nebraska's what four and three at that point. Um, it will be interesting to see kind of how they approach those things going into it, because um, a lot of it to me will be, where is this team at um, going into November? Well, another thing Chris Jones needs to work at or think about is what his NFL future is going to hold. Um, you know, like I said, he was probably their, um, you know, highest rated draft pick going into the season. Uh, and then if you do come back, you are running the risk of doing the one thing that NFL prospects can't afford to do, and that's put bad film on tape. Uh, and if, if you go out there and you're not 100% and you're not your old self and you're kind of rushing back to get on the field, uh, that can do a lot of damage to, to what NFL teams think about you uh, as a player, and um, it can cost you a lot of money uh, as a result. So that's another factor that's got to be involved here. It is the reward of coming back for, you know, one five or six games worth uh, potentially, um, you know, hurting Millions. your draft stock. I mean, he does have that red shirt available, so he could sit this thing out and come back, you know, 100% uh, in 2018. 
Um, and there's an example of this. I mean, uh, you could make a big, pretty strong case that DeMornay Pearson L should have redshirted last year, but you know, he came back uh, off a pretty significant knee injury and you know, he, he wasn't the same guy. Uh, so, I mean, there's, there's precedence of this not working out the way the player maybe had hoped. So um, he's going to have to put a lot of thought into this. And, you know, I think ultimately it will be, um, you know, just as much his decision on this and what is best for his future as it is for the, you know, the coaching staff. And Nate, let's say he does redshirt. I, I think it actually, puts a pretty ideal situation for 2018 because you could have Lamar Jackson and Chris Jones as your two corners and then Buki can move right into that starting nickel role which we know Dante Williams really likes uh, Buki to probably be the potential starting nickel. Yeah, I think that um, you know, especially with Buki being an early enrollee, you know, being able to to come in in the spring and and uh, kind of jump right in, get into the mix, and potentially, um, you know, learning that defense in the spring, and then potentially stepping right in at that nickel spot. I think that that could be an ideal situation, and and you know, looking at it on paper, I think that could be a pretty formidable. Uh, you know, set of cornerbacks to have on your team there, especially when you look at what's coming back at the safety position too. With with a guy like Aaron Williams, and and uh, you throw a JoJo Doman back into the mix when he's healthy, and um, you know, so that could be. There, there's going to be an infusion of a lot of talent, to be honest with you, beyond Buki uh, in that secondary uh, come after this season, and all those guys are early enrollees, along with you know Buki, Chase Williams, Mario Goodrich. So they're all early enrollees. So that'll be interesting. You're listening here to the Husker Online Show as we discuss the impact of this Chris Jones injury and what it means for Nebraska. Sean Callahan, Robin Washington, Nate Klaus. And, you know, I think you look at the scenarios and it really all starts with Joshua Kalu. What do you want to do with this guy? Do you keep him at safety or do you move him back to corner? What essentially gets you your best four guys on the field? And um, I, I think for Nebraska, there's about four different scenarios you can go with because you've got Antonio Reed, you've got Kyron Williams. These are guys that both have started games at safety for Nebraska. Kyron Williams led this team in interception. So could you slide Kalu back to corner um, and put one of those guys at safety? Or do you go the other route with Eric Lee and DiCaprio Boodle and let one of those guys roll as a starting corner and keep Kalu um, a- a- as your safety? In theory, moving Kalu back to corner makes the most you know sense. It's the it's the obvious answer, but there are other layers involved here. Um, you know, obviously he's a two year starter at the position. You know, you know what you're going to get out of him, so he's kind of the safe play there. And then, like you said, you have experience behind him at safety, but. It, Keep in mind, that move was made for a reason. Um, Joshua Kalu, I think, looking forward, is a significantly better safety prospect than he is a corner. Um, you know, you look at his, he's a long, uh, fast, uh, you know, athletic safety whose maybe best defensive attribute is his tackling. And so that just fits perfectly into the mold of what the staff is looking for in a safety. Uh, you know, the, the issue then, you know, if you move him, you bring in, you know, Kyron Williams seems to be the obvious answer, but there was a point this spring when he was working with a third team defense and he really struggled um, just kind of with this transition, maybe more so than any safety uh, in the group. So, you know, it's, it's not just this natural thing that he's going to be the guy that had five interceptions last year. I mean, he, he's got some work to do to catch up. Uh, and then, you know, at corner, you know, I mean, you, if you keep Joshua Kalu at safety, you have Eric Lee, who had a very, very strong spring and was slated to be the number one nickelback. Uh, but the issue with him that kind of plagued him the first two years is, can he be a matchup corner on the outside? Uh, it's a big difference playing inside on the slot. Uh, it's a whole nother ball game when you're playing against Big Ten wide receivers kind of on an island uh, on the perimeter. So that's another question that needs to be answered. Do the coaches feel good enough about Eric Lee's ability in you know one-on-one coverage on the perimeter uh, to keep Kalu at safety, which I think ideally they would love to do, but their hand may be forced here. It will be interesting, no doubt, Nate. Yeah, it will. I, you know, I remember talking with uh, Bob Elliott about – uh, Joshua Kalu's move to back to safety last spring, and and uh, and he was ecstatic about that move. He he was saying how much versatility that gives the the defense, especially the secondary, having less a guy, substituting. Yeah, less substituting. It gives them a lot more flexibility to to uh, to uh, get the best players on that defense back there, um, and and to have a guy at safety who can tackle like Kalu could, but also had the coverage skills that Kalu has, um, was was kind of a rare deal so um with how highly he talked about Kalu 
Lou at that safety position, I feel like Nebraska would be more inclined to try and hand over the reins to to Eric Lee, uh, DiCaprio Boodle, uh, one of those guys. Like Robin mentioned, Lee had an outstanding spring. So I think that they're going to give Lee every chance to kind of take that spot and see if see if they can ride with him there to keep Kalu in the back end. Um, and I think that's a smart play because you do have that insurance policy um, with Kalu. You could always move him back down, and he'll be just fine at, at that cornerback position. But if you can have a guy step up and keep Kalu at the safety position, I, I think that's the best-case scenario. Well, that will definitely be something that we address and hear from Mike Riley about um, at the Big Ten Media Days in Chicago. And speaking of the Media Days, when we come back, We'll give you our early takes on what to expect as the Huskers get ready to head to Chicago. Nebraska will not go until Tuesday as uh, there'll be 16 or seven teams that go on Monday. And then the Huskers uh, will begin things on Tuesday. So that's next here. You're listening to the Husker Online Show. You're listening to HuskerOnline.com, your authority on Nebraska athletics. And welcome back here to the Husker Online Show as Nebraska gets ready to go out to Big Ten Media Day. Sean Callahan, Robin Washett, Nate Klaus. We're making the trip out to Chicago on Monday. Uh, things kick off at noon on Monday, so we'll hit an early flight. And then the Huskers will go all the way till 6 o'clock on Tuesday. So if you're trying to follow just the Nebraska news, Tuesday will be the day you want to be on. Um, they'll they'll do some early stuff in the morning, and that's where Mike Riley will probably give away a lot of the kind of the nuts and bolts stuff we want answers to. And then in the afternoon, there'll be kind of more long form sessions where you can kind of ask the coach like, "What's your favorite kind of taco?" or whatever goofy <laughs> off the wall question you want to ask him. And Robin has actually got a few already lined up, right? Oh yeah, I, I got all the good ones like uh, best burger joint in Omaha and uh, all, all the stuff so the board can finally get answers. That was Dan Hoppin's job, by the way, before. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know. We got to make up. We got to fill that void. Well, it's going to be interesting. Media days. Um, you, you kind of look at where Nebraska is at. You just get the feeling there's not much expectation out there for this team. I mean, I think anyone sees this team from six and six all the way to eight and four. The real, real optimistic take might be nine and three, but with the latest injury, um, you just get the sense going in now to Chicago. Um, Nebraska is definitely on the back burner, especially when you have Urban Meyer, you have Jim Harbaugh, you're going to have PJ Fleck probably doing something crazy and funny and and, and getting attention. Because this will be the first time he's been on a big media day stage, so um, you know from the Nebraska perspective, uh, they're just going to be kind of in the back seat. Yeah, it'll be kind of a, a little unusual compared to previous media days, but that's kind of where Nebraska is right now. There are so many unknowns about what this team will be. It's really hard to peg, um, you know, wh- wh- where they stack up compared to the rest of the Big Ten, especially other known commodities like uh, the the elite programs in the conference. So, I mean, the, as a result, you know, they're, they're probably going to get lost in the shuffle a little bit. But, um, you know, there's definitely a lot that we are going to learn, um, you know, from that first day uh, with, with Mike Riley just answering some pretty pressing questions. Obviously, the Chris Jones situation, we'll finally get answers on that. I'm sure he'll comment on the uh, attrition that's happened, um, you know, with the 2017 class. Uh, and then, you know, looking ahead to just kind of what what is going to hold you know I mean we we got a taste of what this team's going to be with 15 spring practices but there are still so many different questions across the board that uh, we haven't even begun to answer and probably won't be able to answer until the season rolls around. Well, I think it's a good spot too for Nebraska to be in because you're breaking in a brand new starting quarterback you're breaking in a brand new defense, um, you know, and, and I think if there were a lot of expectations, there'd be an awful lot of pressure on on a lot of different people in the program. And and now with uh, you know kind of being overlooked, I think you could, um, if you don't do well, or if there are some growing pains, okay, yeah, that's to be expected. But if you do catch some people by surprise. Uh, I think you're gonna gonna really catch them by surprise because I, I think a lot of people are kind of underestimating maybe just how good um, or how different things could be with uh, Tanner Lee at the helm or how different things could be with uh, a different defense that seemingly seems to be playing harder uh, with you know more more passion uh, you know has obviously a different scheme uh, that people really have no idea what to expect because no one's really seen it live in person yet so um, yeah I think think it's a good spot for Nebraska to potentially creep up on some people. Yeah, uh, here's the one thing with all these questions Nebraska's facing is 
they, their opponents don't have answers for any of that either, and they won't until there's actually game film, you know, put out there. Uh, you know, look back at the spring game. Uh, Nebraska was about as conservative as they possibly could be, especially on defense, because they want to remain as big of a secret as they possibly can uh, for, for their upcoming opponents. And so, you know, getting Oregon in week two, they're going to have one game film uh, to study uh, about what Nebraska's defense under Bob Diaco is going to look like, what Tanner Lee looks like as the starting quarterback at Nebraska. And so um, while it, it seems like there's some concerns flying around about, you know, what what Nebraska is going to do to, to solve these issues, the, the good thing is um, they're kind of that team of mystery right now. And that can be an advantage uh, during this time of the year. And that's something, Robin, I know we've talked about a, a topic point we're going to ask opposing coaches in the Big Ten how have you kind of prepared for Nebraska knowing they're going to run a new defense, knowing they've got a quarterback that hasn't really played for them yet that has some film out there? I mean, what are the challenges maybe as you do kind of your summer self-scouting work uh, as far as preparing for Nebraska goes? Yeah, and so, I mean, like I said, Nebraska's got a lot of work to do um, from the start of fall camp on until September, but uh, the good thing is that, you know, as, as much of an issue as it is for them to find answers to that, um, it is an advantage that they're, they're basically going to keep the rest of the league guessing um, all the way up until they start playing real games. You're listening here to the Husker Online Show, Sean Callahan, Robin Washett, and A. Klaus as we get ready to go out to Big Ten Media Days. Now, Aaron Williams uh, will replace Chris Jones at the event uh, along with Tanner uh, Tanner Lee and Chris Weber. I don't know. I mean, I, I guess I'm not like shocked that Aaron Williams is there, but there's part of me still that they would have looked at maybe a DeMornay Pearsonell, someone that is a senior um, that's been around the block, but maybe DeMornay didn't want to go. I mean, you, you just never know. Uh, Aaron Williams will do a great job, and I think it also shows you, uh, Nate, what they think of Aaron Williams and his potential going forward. Yeah, there might not be another guy on the defense or maybe the team in general that, that kind of received the, the praise that Aaron Williams did uh, coming out of spring football. You know, when when you've got a guy like Bob Elliott saying that that he was you know one of the the quicker studies of a defense and grasps the defense faster than anybody that he's ever seen before, and and his ability to kind of perceptualize the um, the the defense and to learn it so fast and, and to uh, just pick everything up and being able to to get other people in the right position um, was something that just blew. Bob Elliott away. I mean, um, you're talking about a pretty special player, and, and and I think that he's poised for kind of a breakout season in this defense, uh, based off of the coach's comments. And so it does make sense that, that he was picked, uh, and uh, and he's been a pretty a pretty good player for Nebraska so far. But I think that you know in his new role, he I think he has an opportunity to really thrive and and become more of a face of that defense than he has up to this point. I think it'd be good for him too to to get that type of exposure. Because uh, quite frankly, uh, the rest of the conference probably doesn't know very well who Aaron Williams is, and um, he's going to be a player that is going to play a vital role in Nebraska's defense, especially when you take out a guy like Chris Jones. I mean, um, he's got he's going to be the voice back there, um, you know, along with Chris Weber. I mean, those are the two guys that are going to be making every pre-snap adjustment, getting everybody in the right place uh, before the snap, and um, really just kind of being the, that one of the QBs of that defense. And so, uh, I have a feeling he's going to have a very strong year this year, and this will be a great opportunity for him to get put in the spotlight a little bit. Nebraska will go on Tuesday as uh, we'll be out there Monday still covering all the events in Chicago, but uh, we'll also catch up with Matt Reynoldson. Um, we'll see him out there on his internship, and we'll make sure he hasn't burnt the place down yet on his uh, summer intern experience at the Big Ten Network. Uh, but it will be a, a, a good opportunity to get rolling. And, um, Robin, this will be the earliest practices started. So, really, media days Monday, Tuesday, fan day Friday, um, Saturday or fan day Saturday, excuse me, mm -hmm. with uh, opening practice Sunday. Really, this is kind of like the start of it all. It's nuts, but Monday really begins like our year for us. Yeah, I guess uh, you know the good thing is that we get football sooner than normal, but summer's coming to an end quicker. But uh, it's going to be interesting. I mean, that's another question we're going to talk about uh, during media days is the change of the fall camp format. I mean, gone are two a days, and now you're doing, what, 29 practices in 29 days? Uh, that's that's well, there's be. Sundays off in there, but you have 29. You have, you have to have 29 total practices from now until your opener. Right. Okay. So anyway, you're, you're sp spanning out 29 practices in a pretty short window. 
leading up into that first game. And so, you know, I guess the idea is to reduce the wear and tear that two a days had physically. Um, but, you know, I mean, that, that that's a grind in its own right. I mean, when you're only getting a handful of days off as opposed to kind of getting it all done in, you know, a couple days during the week. Uh, I'm, I'm interested to see the players' thoughts on this and this new change and if they think it's actually going to be a benefit. All right, when we come back, we're going to bring our other intern into the show, David Eichold, as he's back with us here for year number two. And we'll take your questions next here in the mailbag. You're listening to the Husker Online Show. This is HuskerOnline.com, your authority on Nebraska athletics. And welcome back here to the Husker Online Show. Sean Callahan, Robin Washett, Nate Klaus, and back from his summer school stint, intern David Eichold as we bring in the Husker Online mailbag. Now, David, how did you do in summer school? Did you get the grades you wanted? I have passed. You've passed. Okay, I have passed. All. C's get degrees, or did you? <laughs> yeah, actually... basically. No, I I actually put a lot of studying in it. I mean, I got one class every five weeks, so so you took. I may as nine... well do some effort into it. Did you take nine or twelve hours a summer? Nine, nine. So that's that's a full load. I mean, twelve is about the most they allow you to do in a summer. Yeah, they won't let you do anymore. Um, so yeah, that that's an impressive load, but it will get you out in uh, May, we'll May or December. I think right. December, December. So. Yeah, I couldn't get in that last class I wanted to, so there's like, well, you got to stay in our semester. All right, well, the Husker Online's David Eichel here with the mailbag. We brought it back on the Red Sea Scrolls. What do you have for us this week to lead off the mailbag? In the top 40 rankings, what surprised you the most? Um, I, I think after maybe 1 through 15, I think just the all over the board kind of how the rankings were. I, I think there was that, that, that describes this team in a nutshell and the unknown factors that I think there's about 10 or 15 established guys that stand out. But after that, maybe 16 to 40, um, it went so many different directions. Yeah, I would probably say, you know, kind of fitting with that, maybe the best example uh, was Tyjon Lindsay. Um, you know, he was a guy that I think most of us had, you know, somewhere in that, that 20s range. And then, you know, good old Matt. <laughs> Matt had him up as his number 11 overall player. And so, I mean, there are clearly, you know, more people than just Matt that are that excited about Tyjon. And realistically, I mean, especially based on the comments that, you know, that, that piece got on the board, um, there are a lot of people that think by season's end, I mean, that'll be a pretty realistic expectation for him just because of, you know, the excitement level around him, um, the lack of proven depth at wide receiver, and, um, you know, just his potential to have a breakout true freshman campaign. And I think if you do, if we were to do this at the end of the year, I, yeah. I do think that um, Tyjon would be closer to that 11 than what he ended up at, number like 20, 28, or yeah. 22, something like that. It's a like very that. hot take-ish, RSS, yeah. it, vote for Terrell Farley type of take there. Yeah, so, <laughs> and I think you could say that with a number of these guys. You know, at the end of the year, you know, he, he may have been in the bottom in the or in the yeah in the bottom half of the top twenty, uh, but twenty third was where he yeah okay. Yeah. So I think you can make a case for a number of guys who were closer to forty than they were to to the top group. Um, you know that that they could conceivably flip flop those positions pretty quickly, uh, depending on how well they do this year. What do you got next for us? Uh, does the cap position lead the team in sacks, or will the sacks be more evenly distributed throughout the team? Now, we had a long debate about this, but Nate, wouldn't the dog really be kind of more the sack guy versus the cat? Well, that's my understanding. My understanding is that the dog linebacker position is that boundary outside linebacker position who's the guy that would would the Von walk Miller. up. Yeah, the Von Miller type guy. The, the guy that could walk up uh, and, and put his hand in the dirt uh, and, and be that pass rush guy off the edge uh but also kind of cover you know cover a tight end in space or or you know play the run in space as well from a two-point stance so um so i think that that dog position would probably have um you know the more opportunity for sacks than the cat position yeah I, I, it will be interesting to see as we learn more about it but yeah when you look at some of the scheme the notre dame fans have drawn up you know what the scheme is and the way it's laid out, you know, Garrett Nelson is coming in as a dog linebacker um, in this defense, and um, that's going to be an important position. Alex Davis right now is in that spot, but you really have to be kind of a hybrid guy that can play um, both the D end and out in space. And, you know, Wisconsin has really mastered that. We saw that the last couple of years. 
uh, with some of the linebackers they've had in this 3-4 defense. Yeah, and honestly, right now, I think it's impossible to answer that right now. That was one of the questions Bob Diaco was asked this spring, is where is the pass rush going to come from in this defense? And he was extremely close to the vest on that. He would just say, everybody. You know, everybody's going to play a role in it. And so uh, we won't know until that is finally uh brought up you know when the games get going here in september uh exactly kind of how those blitz schemes work how much the linebackers are going to be involved and you know who who the primary sources of pass rush are going to be uh how much better will langsdorf look calling plays this year given the roster changes yeah it will be interesting because i think he's called plays and sometimes tommy armstrong kind of <laughs> called his own play at times uh, out there for the huskers when you look at kind of what tommy armstrong did i mean he improvise he didn't like to step up in the pocket he liked to step out and around the pocket you're not going to see tanner lee doing uh the crazy spin moves that he did the last couple of years like we saw tommy i think you're going to see him stay within the offense make the reads make the throws and that's going to be refreshing to see sean are you telling us that this is the end of yolo ball yolo you know what's a <laughs> what's amazing ball about yolo ball though is the lack of sacks like tommy armstrong could have taken yeah. You know, I go back to that 07 K-State game and the 06 K-State game. Uh, Josh Freeman tried to play YOLO ball against Nebraska, and he took like 18-yard sacks. There were so many times where Tommy Armstrong could have taken an 06, 07 Josh Freeman sack, and he didn't. Like he was, It was amazing how much he was able to get away from trouble um, in those situations, and, and it was a risk that just wasn't necessary, and I don't think you're going to see that anymore with these quarterbacks. Yeah, for, for as many times as that style of play got Tommy in trouble, it did bail Nebraska out multiple times. But from an offensive lineman perspective, this has got to be the best thing in the world, to actually know where your quarterback is going to be and pass protection uh you know you can say all you want about the inability to block on the edge but when your quarterback i mean you have no idea where he is because he's running all over the place that makes it very difficult to position yourself and pass protect properly but with tanner lee he's a guy that's going to stand in the pocket shuffle his feet step up uh create space within the pocket and as a lineman that makes your life so much easier because you know in the back of your head where your quarterback is and how to properly block uh the defender as a result i think tanner lee is going to be bring a whole new level of efficiency to the to the position which in turn will help langsdorf call a game i think that uh uh, Tanner Lee knows this offense inside and out, and and there's no question in my mind that he and Langsdorf are on the same page and are, are clicking on all cylinders there. We're taking your questions here in the mailbag here on Husker Online. we got time for at least one or two more. Uh, will Nebraska have a 1,000-yard rusher this season? Gosh. Um, <laughs> oh, man, that's a tough one. I mean, I, I think they're going to have to because the quarterback play – I think what people tend to forget is Tommy Armstrong, with him running the football, it took away 10 to even 15 carries a game from running backs. I think that alone right there should allow a Trey Bryant the opportunity to get more touches himself to get to a thousand yards. So I will say yes, they will have a thousand yard back. It's going to be close. Um, you know, yes, there will be more running back carries, but you have three legitimate options of guys that are all going to split the workload. And I don't know if there's one guy at this point that's going to be on the field enough to register enough carries uh, to get to that point. I think you're maybe more realistically looking at your leading rusher with 800, your next guy with 600, and your next guy behind that with four or 500. I mean, it, it could be one of those types of deals. And that's not a bad thing. I mean, the 1,000-yard rusher thing, I think, gets overvalued, especially in today's game where the running back position, I mean, you see even in the NFL, is kind of undervalued. I mean, it, it's the, he's basically a slot-and-play type position now, uh, unless you have the elite of the elite. And Nebraska doesn't have that right now. And so by... Uh, kind of effect of that you have a kind of a three-man rotation that I think is all going to do their own individual tasks and you can still get quality production as a team you just won't have that individual success success and I don't see it happening with with the uh you know having three three running backs kind of having that committee approach uh yet again uh, unless one guy emerges as the workhorse I, I don't see any of those backs coming close to a thousand or I think they may come close, but I don't yeah. think anyone will eclipse that 1,000-yard mark. I think they have to have one guy emerge. It's I mean, got, uh, and Trey Bryant's probably the favorite. Yeah, and, and I think Trey Bryant is probably the guy to emerge, but I still think that, that he'll get close, but not necessarily eclipse that 1,000-yard mark. I, to me, the the greatest indicator, you know, all right, I place more value on yards per carry than actually having a guy rush over 1,000 yards on the season. Time for one more here in the mailbag. As a journalist, what's your favorite month of the year and what's your least favorite? 
Um, good question. My uh, favorite month is probably May. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like Memorial Day is like the one of the only free and clear holidays that we have. Um, I, I just love May because usually recruiting is kind of in a standstill at that point and football spring ball's done and you just kind of can enjoy that month. And my least favorite, honestly, it might sound random to people, but March, um, there's a point in March where football, basketball, and baseball all go on at one time. And there's usually a big recruiting event that happens in March as well. Um, so then you have pro day and NFL combine and, and all that stuff going on. So the month of March is honestly one of our harder months to manage because literally there's like 17 irons on the fire. Yeah. Um, mine's very similar. I'm going to go with May's favorite, um, because of the reason Sean mentioned kind of the, the, the end of the season, you know, get to finally decompress a little bit. July's close just cause it's a fun month. Uh, least favorite is this, well, from a workload perspective is November for me, because that's when the official overlap between, uh, basketball and football go. And so you're going, you know, straight from practice to the pinnacle bank arena to cover a game and basically putting in a very long day. And then you got to do it all over again the next day. So, um, it's, it's a grind, but you know, we, we do it because we love it, Sean. Uh, for me, I think July, for me, July is a lot slower. Um, so to actually be able to, to have a little bit of free time to go and do some things, um, although I'm not doing a whole foot, lot. You got your yeah. foot cut off this <laughs> yeah, July. Yeah. This, is, this has not been a good July. No, this has not had been a good <laughs> July for me. That's why it's slow, Nate. Uh, yeah, that's why it's been slow is because I had surgery on my foot. But um, usually July is is the slower month. That That's a time where you can kind of catch your breath a little bit. Uh, and then from a workload perspective, I mean, Jan- December, January, uh, the beginning of February, pretty much every the last, I don't know, 60 days leading up to signing day are are uh, are always really really crazy. A lot of long hours. And, there. and this year, Nate, we are. It's going to be different after mm-hmm. that December signing. I think January is going to be a lot more manageable for us. Yeah, I think it will be. But at the on the the flip side of that is that I think that we're going to see a ton of action for next year's class. I think there's going to be uh, a big push for the 2019 class. A lot of news coming up, and a lot of visitors and junior days and whatnot for the underclassmen. So we'll see. Well, that wraps it up here for the mailbag. When we come back, we'll close the show with Nate Klaus as we'll get the latest in the world of recruiting and the scholarship numbers for this class. You're listening here to the Husker Online Show. This is HuskerOnline.com, your authority on Nebraska athletics. Final segment here of the Husker Online Show. Sean Callahan, Nate Klaus, as we wrap things up with some recruiting talk. And let's talk numbers first, Nate. Um, It's kind of been a big year of talking numbers when you look at this 2018 recruiting class for Nebraska and you know it's always been how much bigger can this 2018 class get when we talked in San Antonio with Mike Riley in June he said 18 was a very optimistic outlook at that point well now they don't have Keyshawn Johnson he could come back they lose Elijah Blades they lose Deontay Watts they're sitting at 77 openings right now today Um, but still there's only 11 scholarship seniors at this very second um, there's a projection of probably two juniors on walk-on areas that will be put on scholarships, which means Nebraska will have 17 um, seniors on scholarship, but one might have to go back to Keyshawn Johnson Jr. So technically maybe 16, unless Keyshawn um, doesn't come back, they'd be at 17. Today, right now, what, where does this class go as far as size? Well, as far as you know, size, once once the, the ink is dry on those letter of intents, I, I think that – um, I'll be shocked if we if we don't see a class of at least 19, and I think it could even push that 20 mark. Um, you know, heading into to signing day, I think I think that's now the realistic number um, that we'll see. And and I think Nebraska, with as many guys as is that you know that they're in on right now, I think that uh, they'll continue to be aggressive and and uh, you know probably try to oversign by a couple. You know, the last couple years, that's that's been Riley's mo is to oversign by a couple. Now that that did not happen this past class, um, and and now I'm sure they wish that they probably would have if they could have gotten a couple guys that that they really really liked there, but um, you know this year is is a different story. I think that's the silver lining and all this bad news that that has kind of happened to the team um, in the past you know couple weeks with with uh, you know Keyshawn leaving and and uh, Deontay Watts and Elisha Blades not making it. I think the silver lining is now this class went 
went from being, you know, relatively small class to being more of an average size class. And, and you could f- find ways to, to fit in a, a couple more uh, players and, and kind of help out at a couple more positions of need. Yeah, the books really got on balance for Nebraska, Nate, when you look at the scholarship numbers. And a lot of that is that upperclassman attrition recruiting bust from the previous staff. And Nebraska's just trying to kind of keep that checkbook balanced. They don't want to have classes um, that are way bigger than others to be in a situation again like they are right now. Yeah, you don't you don't want to be fluctuating back and forth all the time. I, I think that's that's bad. That that kind of becomes a tricky game there uh, to play. When one year you're taking a, a full boat, and the next year you're taking you know you're, you're fighting to get 13, 14, 15 guys in a class. I, I think that if you could consistently stay between twenty and twenty five, you know that would be that would be kind of ideal um, to make things a lot easier. So uh, there there is somewhat of an unbalance, and that's expected. I mean, when you have a coaching change, that, that's going to happen. There's going to be plenty of attrition uh, over over the next couple years, and uh, and we've kind of seen that. And and now uh, is this is the year when I think you you really uh, you, you want to see Nebraska uh, take a full advantage of as many guys as possible because there are so many high caliber recruits that, that are still interested in them. You're listening here to the Husker Online Show, Sean Callahan, Nate Klaus, as we discuss the recruiting topics here from the week. So what position group really gains? If, if this class finds itself to grow from 17 to 20, what are the position groups that maybe gain a guy that a month ago we didn't think could have that guy? Well, you know, I'll start with the defensive backfield. I, I feel like Nebraska had already started to, to kind of uh, recruit an extra guy in that defensive secondary uh, just in case Elijah Blades didn't make it. You know, earlier in the process, you know, late last winter, early spring, it, it seemed like Nebraska was set on taking four defensive backs in this class. And then uh, coming out of the spring and or by the time, you know, middle of the spring evaluation period, um, it was pretty obvious that they were, they were dead set on taking five all of a sudden. So uh, I don't know if the loss of Elijah Blades really impacts that number anymore, but uh, certainly the loss of um, Deontay Watts, I, I think that extra spot could go to a couple different positions. I, I think uh, defensive end and then that boundary outside and linebacker spot make the most sense. Those are the two positions that I know Bob Diaco is is very particular with. Uh, he wants a very certain type of athlete to to play both of those spots. And, and um, you know, let's be honest, I I don't know that uh, Nebraska has the prototype, you know, Bob Diaco defensive end or out boundary outside linebacker necessarily on this team right now just yet. So uh, I think those are two spots where if they could find a player or two um, to help help play those positions that, that kind of fit exactly what they're looking for. I think they'll certainly, um, you know, take a guy there rather than, than, you know, just filling in another nose tackle, which Deontay Watts was going to come in and play. And speaking of uh, movement in this class, Nate, um, we thought Christian Tut was going to visit here in July. That's not going to happen. Uh, what can you share with us on that? Well, yeah, Christian Tut coming out of the Friday Night Lights, uh, he had said, yeah, I'm going to be back towards the end of July. I'm bringing my whole family up. Even my grandmother is going to be coming to visit Lincoln. I want to show them what uh, what Lincoln is like and what the football program is all about and you know, have an opportunity to have them sit down with Mike Riley and, and Dante Williams and Bob Diaco, so on and so forth. Uh, was very excited about that trip. Well, we caught up with Christian and and, uh, and his father, actually, and um, let us know that that trip's probably not going to happen now in July and that they're probably going to be waiting until their official visit to make that trip. And um, and it makes sense. I mean, anytime you're talking about bringing your, your whole family halfway across the country, um, I mean, that's quite the expense, you know, uh, to do that on your own dime is uh, it can be very expensive when you talk about airfare and and uh, lodging and and meals. I mean, when you especially do that, have the new rules that are in place. Yeah, and so when you compare doing that on your own dime to comparing to to do it as an official visit, where the schools can now not only pay for the student athlete uh, and all his expenses, but also for the expenses of the parents. I think it makes it a lot more economical and makes a lot more sense. So that's what they're going to do. They're going to take their official. 
visit. But, um, you know, so Christian Tut was kind of the top guy on my list in terms of who could be next to pull the trigger and commit to Nebraska. Now I'm not so sure when that's going to happen. I, I think there's still possibility that he could do it before the official visit. But now I'm kind of leaning towards him doing it uh, at some point in time during that trip or, or shortly thereafter that official visit now. Um, so so that does change things a little bit. I still think there there's an opportunity for Nebraska to add a commit or two before the season starts. Um, maybe a, a guy like a Cameron Brown, uh, who was a former commit, kind of backed off that pledge in June, ended up coming back to Nebraska's Friday Night Lights and looked very, very comfortable with the staff and uh, seemed seemed like he was you know um, feeling real comfortable with all the other commits and recruits that were on campus. I know his mother absolutely loved that visit. Uh, so I could see him wanting to get something out of the way before his season starts because uh, that's kind of been something that he has talked about before. So I think Nebraska stands a good chance to add him again back in this class. Uh, Daniel Carson is another guy, you know, the big defensive end out of Independence, Missouri. Um, you know, with the loss of Judge Culpepper, who was another defensive end Nebraska was recruiting out of Florida, you know, his commitment to Penn State uh, takes a guy off the board. And I, I think Dan, that squarely moves Daniel Carson up to the number one target, number one need at that defensive end position. Um, and following his trip in June for Friday Night Lights and Big Red Weekend, I think the Huskers stand a really good chance of, of landing him. Uh, again, I don't know exactly when that's going to happen, but wouldn't be surprised if it did happen uh, before the season started or early on this fall if he, if and when he makes his uh, you know return for an official visit. And then Nate Houston Griffin there was a lot of talk about Florida State, Florida State, Florida State. Um, our colleagues at the Omaha World Herald actually caught up with Houston, and, and he kind of um, was quest- caught off guard by that as well, as a lot of people just, you know, whatever source out there leaked it out, something about Florida State. It got a lot of people thinking Florida State might be the team. Uh, what can you tell us about Houston Griffith? Well, I, what I can tell you about Houston Griffiths is he, he, he likes to keep things kind of close to the vest. He doesn't like to give a whole lot out. Uh, a lot of times he'll visit somewhere and won't tell anybody he's going until he actually shows up on campus. You know, he, he's not on social media saying, "Oh, visiting Lincoln next weekend." You know, he'll he'll just show up and then and then kind of announce, "I'm here." Um, so. You know, he he and his family took a trip to Tallahassee the weekend before Friday Night Lights camp at Nebraska, the big one, um, the second of which that Nebraska held in June. Uh, and following that that trip to Tallahassee, everyone, all the media, and everybody said, "Okay, uh, I think the the general consensus was that the Seminoles were were in the lead for his services." And then following his trip to Friday Night Lights and Big Red Weekend with his father that next weekend, there was a lot of people, um, you know based off of what Houston had to say about that trip, a lot of people felt very confident that now all of a sudden Nebraska may be in the driver's seat for his uh, for his signature, his commitment one day. Um, and then for whatever reason, things flipped back to Florida State. I think a lot of it has to do with Virtus Brown, who's, a, who's originally from Chicago, who's also a teammate of Houston Griffiths at IMG Academy. He just recently committed to uh, Florida State. I know Tim Brewster at Florida State is, is kind of the guy in charge of recruiting those Chicago kids. So he's the lead guy on Virtus Brown. He's the lead guy on Houston Griffith. Uh, so I think that's part of the reason why all, all of a sudden people are like, oh, well, he's going to be following his you know, Chicago guy to Florida State. But I think this still has a long ways to play out. Uh, I, I and Tim Brewster, I've, I've met him. He's a talker, I'm sure. Oh, yeah. He's put out his his talk to people and that's probably what happened yeah absolutely so um but the bottom line to me my read on this is that nebraska is very much in play and i don't see anything happening anytime soon i think this is going to go on for a bit longer so nebraska is still in good shape in my opinion well that wraps it up here for this week's edition next week we'll have full coverage in chicago so make sure you're on huskeronline.com as uh, we will bring you wall-to-wall coverage from big 10 media days Thanks again for joining us this week on Husker Online, your authority on Nebraska athletics.